Welcome back to the Detroit is Different podcast studios. And today I have a collection, a collection of folks that definitely add to the music when we think about the music and the culture of Detroit. So this is going to be a different type of discussion. Y'all know usually it's one-on-ones, but now it's a one-on-three, a one-on-three that's bringing so much collective culture, energy, and a good feel to folks. Deciphered in effect. Decipher, how y'all doing today? Well... All is well. Doing good. All right, doing okay, good. Okay. okay. Great. So Junie, Neek, Sophia, y'all have added to so much of the events. Uh, y'all definitely connect with a spot I love, uh, the Detroit City Distillery. Big supporters of mm-hmm. Detroit is different. And uh, so much other things. You know, you guys have done stuff down at the, uh, what's that, the, the Quinder Cut. You yeah. guys have done things. Uh, and just... Adding flavor when I think about the artists that you all are giving opportunity to mixing uh, a, a lot of stages, not just for like younger artists, but older artists, too. So let's talk about this decipher story. How did it come about? Why did you all start it? Who was the first person to introduce this to everybody? Tell the story. Yeah. So uh, back in somewhere around 2012, mm-hmm. 13, 14, somewhere around, somewhere there, around there. I'm losing track. But a while ago, mm-hmm. uh, we were uh, I mean we're all performing musicians in our separate groups collaboratively together we uh, mm-hmm. perform uh, and we have known each other for a while so we just got together uh, out of frustrations really you know just to um, discuss like hey you know I'm seeing this in in our music scene here in Detroit as we mm-hmm. perform uh, Nick is seeing this Sophia is seeing this um, we have uh, some other people that we've been collaborate collaborating with in the past so we just been convening people. Uh, back in that day, and uh, we didn't have a solution at that time. That was just really uh, just getting stuff off our chest, you know, and, and just seeing what, what we hear and are experiencing in common. Um, and from that, um, we convened a few more sessions and just really started to get to know what the landscape was looking like because uh, together we didn't see anything happening like that where we could really share about what the performance scene was looking like here in the city um, and how it was changing, you know what I'm saying? Uh, mm-hmm. If it was even growing, you know? Um, so after convening for, <clears throat> I would say about maybe over a year, two years, um, we um, we got the opportunity to get some funding behind those uh, those gatherings that we, that we formed. All right, so who was the first person to uh, even start these conversations? Uh, it was kind of Wayne and myself and uh, Alondra, uh, people know her as Insight the Riot. Uh, and then Sophia was always like in the mix as well, just because all of our bands like played together and shared shows. But um, yeah, it really came, I think, I want to say, I think the at least from what I remember, like the definitive moment, we came back from like South by Southwest, I think. Mm-hmm. And all what of our... Year? T- was it 2016? I think it was 16. T- 2016. Yeah. And all of our bands was down there together. It was really dope. And we was like, yo, Austin has such a dope infrastructure and support system for musicians. Why don't we have this in Detroit when it's so many of us here? And like Detroit is home to Motown. Detroit has co- uh, contributed everything dope about American music. Um, and so why don't we have this here? And so, you know, we just started really going harder on those gatherings and saying like, what can we do? Um, and kind of decipher was 
really birthed out of that kind of like for us bias mentality where it's like if we can't wait for somebody to you know boost up our music economy here we're here why don't we just try to do it ourselves we were always um you know hosting our own shows hosting our own events so we kind of had that diy um attitude and spirit and so it was just kind of a natural progression all of us kind of in addition to music come out of some form of like community organizing space and kind of had an activist spirit um and so yeah it was just the natural formation of like yo we have this amazing network we are sharing all of this information back and forth about what's lacking what's needed what's working and uh you know i would say officially like 2016 2017 we officially started to uh mobilize ourselves as a actual collective and um nonprofit and so 20 2017 was 17. our our uh, first grant shout out to the Knight Foundation uh, so we got a grant to actually do the work and that's when it really got real and since then we've been you know uh grinding expanding we just uh was able to get our 501c3 designation uh last year mm-hmm. um and so it's just been a a, a constant evolution and elevation since those initial conversations to now programming a lot of different stages and providing a platform for artists all right so uh sophia they said always around what connected you to be always around (laughs) this whole concept is that was how they kind of introduced it you know yeah um i say that naturally we all had this energy and just frequency of of community Mm -hmm. and um arts and Mm -hmm. just wanted to be better and to always elevate so honestly like before I met Nick, I I just saw Wayne around because just mm. like frequency. I would mm. go into different events and I would just see Wayne there. And then playing drums or, or I didn't no, even introduce no him. The first time was being around. Yeah, was we were doing um <laughs> we were at a DYI event, um, that a friend of mine was throwing called uh, brunch with friends and we had a mutual friend named Toya who does mm. media. Um Toya Coates, Latoya Coates, shout out to Latoya. And um, we were just at brunch with friends, and actually, um, Enid is who was doing the the cooking now, which I believe she has Lucky Pistol. I think mm-hmm. that's the name of her culinary, which is uh, cannabis based. And so we was just in this in this space, and then I got invited to uh, Bookies, and then I ended up seeing him again. But I met Rod, who was in Neek's band. Hey, Scott Rod. Yeah. <laughs> and then I was getting some beats because I was making my own beats, and I was like, I need to find some music. I need to find out where everybody is at. And I was very earnest about that. I love community, and I, I guess that uh, desire and passion to want to be with Tribe um, mm-hmm. just naturally attracted me there. And then I met Neek, and it was a wrap after that. It was just like, <laughs> oh, and then we found out we grew up right around the, the same corner neighborhood. from each other for adolescence uh, yep. in the same hood off Joy Road. Like, we didn't even know each other all the Pull time. Pull up exit nine off the freeway. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's, okay. I would say it was kind of like that. Like, you know, you just kind of around, kind of like in the atmosphere and in the space and just the energy attracting. And, yeah, yep. that's, that's how I came into the cypher. All right, so uh, you talked about South by Southwest and everybody performing. It just also happened that everyone was performing and you all were down there and didn't even know. Y'all just kind of bumping into each other down there? No, we oh, went we down do. together. Yeah, yeah. We, yeah, we went down together. So, like, Wayne's uh, band, One Freak, uh, they we share, what, bass and mm-hmm. guitar, guitar player players. Mm-hmm. And so my band was down there performing, so it was, like, the whole crew. Sophia, uh 
the guitar player, bass player, and then Wayne plays drums and her band. So it's literally like when we say a collective, it's like a collective. Like literally, we've had you know Sophia's band, my band, Wayne's band all perform on the same bill and it's like only two musicians have to swap out but it's like three distinct <laughs> flavors that you're gonna get um and so we we were naturally a, a collective and so uh when uh wayne myself and insight we started you know doing a lot more events as decipher the collective sophia just being a part of the family was at the events and i remember <laughs> distinctly uh there is a we was doing jam sessions uh, at the time, like big network gatherings just for any musicians. And Sophia was like, I got an idea. I want to do this <laughs> event and I want to make it a, a, like a Christmas theme event and make it like a big charity thing. And we was like, all right, cool, let's do it. And it was dope. And after that, just to like see her passion um and just the ideas and that she started contributing to help our programming evolve and elevate and so once we start uh like really solidifying ourselves as a nonprofit, um we was like well just just be our director of programs and and artist relations because that's just it, it just naturally uh flowed but it's really like when we say it's a collective a music mastermind collective it's really a music mastermind collective all right, so within this collective of musicians uh, and the mastermind, let's get to the classic Detroit is different questions now. Um, you guys, Detroit stories. How did you all all connect to the city of Detroit? Family, you know, what showed up first? What is the Detroit story? We know a little bit about Joy Road from your upbringing, but how did your families come about to Detroit? Uh, Junie, yeah. we can go with you first. Yeah, yeah. So my connection is actually my grandmother. Um, my grandmother... Uh, she worked for the Coleman Young administration, and she was, I mean, through and through a, a city worker, you know. Okay. Uh, so she worked under, in the executive branch, in the executive office? Well, she was in accounting. Okay. Um, so she she handled a few different things over her career. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but her story is, she was actually working um and like, she was trying to, like, establish herself, you know what I'm saying, mm -hmm. at first. And uh, she she actually didn't go to university and uh, working in the administration. I forget what her very first job was, mm -hmm. but she she's from Jamaica, so she hmm. uh, came here to work for the city. That was her first job. Where at Jamaica? Uh, Mandeville, um, Kingston. As far as like my family, mm -hmm. we're from different parts, but like Mandeville, Kingston, Saint Anne. Uh, we're, we're from all those parts. And, and just knowing, you know, the Caribbean flavor here in Detroit, it's not as prevalent. It's definitely one of those, as I always say, Detroit, it's a cliquish town. It is a culture. It, it's a group oh, of yeah. folks. But, oh, yeah, we're everywhere. But how how did you feel like growing up, like knowing this, because it's not as prevalent as like a New York or a Boston yeah. or a Philadelphia or places like that? And, and you're right, because uh, she actually moved to New York first and mm -hmm. then came here. To Detroit second when she when she got the job uh, but uh, I mean really I, I didn't know that as a young person mm -hmm. you know the the influence or I guess maybe the uh, the history of uh, Caribbean people here mm -hmm. um, but two two facts that I do want to bring up is Highland Park was known as Little Jamaica mm. you know mm -hmm. uh, in part you know because the factories and just because of uh, the jobs that were here but there were a lot of Jamaicans that used to live here uh, in Highland Park specifically, mm -hmm. um, and then also uh, Detroit as a whole is uh, sister city to 
another one of my um, on my mother's side, uh, Bahamas, Nassau, Bahamas, mm-hmm. and it's the sister city to Bahamas. Um, so there there are connections if you look deep enough. But as a young person, I didn't know any of that, mm-hmm. you know. So um, it's only when I got older that I really started to see <clears throat> the connections and really just how we're uh, connected just throughout the diaspora. You know what I'm saying? And uh, Caribbean folk, you know, people from the South migrating north, mm-hmm. you know, all that culture comes with it. You know, um, I mean, I, I could talk a little bit more about the music. I'll just touch on it. But one of the bands that I'm with is uh, called the Gabriel Brass Band. And mm-hmm. we're uh, from New Orleans. But the family came up here in the 40s, in part because of jobs and whatnot. Uh, but the culture comes with it. You know, so that's one thing that really stands out for me is the the migration of people, you know, from, you know, the global south, from the American south, uh, coming up north, you know, the culture that we experience and that we uh, build on today, um, that's part of it. You know, I mean, it's the 50th year uh, anniversary of hip-hop. I mean, hip-hop, that's Jamaican music, Mm -hmm. you know. But but on the other end, Bob Marley and, and, uh, you know, his era of, of, uh, reggae, ska artists—they they were trying to make Motown music. Mm-hmm. That's how Bob Marley came to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you see what I'm saying? So it's it's a conversation. I got you. I got mm-hmm. you. It's, it's a bunch of people in that mm-hmm. hip hop discussion right now. Like it's black music. It's like oh my god. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it's such a, it's a combination. It is. But you know it, 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 it's it is. it's different flavors as we know. Like yeah. um, you know, just black creativity is, is runs deep and it does connect. So mm-hmm. same thing for you, Nick. How, your your people. How did you get yeah. into the city of Detroit proper? Yeah. So um, my dad's side of the family was originally from Southwest Detroit, mm. and uh, my mom is originally from Florida. And so she was Tampa, Tampa, Florida. So she moved up here in her 20s. She was like, I was living in the South, wanted to come to the big city. And uh, she always tells me how uh, when she was coming up, there was like no black music on her local radio stations, Mm -hmm. all like white radio hosts. And so coming from Tampa to Detroit, she was like, this was like the black Mecca. And she just fell in love uh, just with the whole experience and uh long story short met my dad he was a detroit player in true <laughs> true fashion <laughs> working security and, um and they fell fell in love and here i am and um so it's kind of Fl- floridian uh roots southwest detroit uh roots uh, by way of my dad um and then we uh uh moved to um West Side, so like Joy Road, Evergreen, mm-hmm. Tyreman, and Artesian area, so kind of like the Warrendale area. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's that's where my roots, you know, uh, really run deep on. Like in that side, um, that's where I first started making music and getting exposed to music. My dad uh, is a musician; like he played keys and. Uh, like piano and like wrote songs. I actually was cleaning out an old storage locker and found old songs that my dad mm-hmm. wrote. And uh, I remember um, early in, like in my household, of course, like any true 80s baby, like when music videos was still coming on primetime, ABC at seven o'clock, world premiere, <laughs> Michael Jackson video. And like, and that was like an event in my house. And so, you know, no matter what was happening, if it was, any foolishness turmoil or whatever like when a music video came on whenever an award show came on whenever it was something music focused all of that stopped and that was like an event in my house and so that kind of gave me um of just a passion and a love for for music and so that's where I started writing my first rhymes writing poetry 
uh and just from there it's just it's like yo where's the open mic all right mm. like, and and just started networking and building and um you know uh like kudos to my my both of my parents for really uh uh pushing me in that area and it's like yo if you're gonna do it like be serious about it go let's find some open mics we'll drive you we're gonna sit sit there until you go up like we you know and really um you know they just really saw that passion and so they just at every opportunity uh you know fed it and tried to support it um and it's you know it's it's paying off so yeah shout out to them so definitely in that natural question you said southwest where about your 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 father's people from yeah that led into here and how how deep how many gen- generations deep in detroit um i would say on my father's side th- three or four generations but oh, like so at- your family has been in this area for a while yeah the reason for, i asked that is for because a while southwest detroit uh has a different the 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 culture is different it's, the feel yeah, is different for sure um for so long and, and you know and that's what's so unique about like right now so many people watching the bmf series and mm-hmm. when my friends from like out of town ask hey this that and the other and i'm like in reality southwest was kind of like the last one of the last pieces and one of the last places I, mm-hmm. I guess i would say that a lot of detroiters ended up migrating and settling in because yep. a lot of the property over there if, yep. if i don't know if people know like it's always been a like you know how clean is this land how yep. how close to the factories is this contaminated yep. it, it's been questions about um air quality water oh, yeah. safety and things like that for years and uh and then also it was just like more like agricultural like it was a mix of agriculture and in industry there for a long time mm-hmm. so your family was did they settle in southwest at, yeah. a early, at an early time so they yeah, were very, like maybe one of the first black families very in the mix very, very early i'm not sure off the top of my head what year but etzel mm-hmm. in like 75 so when you talk about like those factories mm-hmm. that's literally right right there like mm-hmm. i remember as a kid like driving to my grandmother's house in the back seat and seeing like the big marathon oil refinery and mm-hmm. like smelling like you know like that distinct smell of that gas in the air um and you know unfortunately it's you know when you talk about environmental issues environmental justice unfortunately a lot of folks on that side of my family have asthma issues wow. and other issues mm-hmm. um and it you know i i definitely attribute it to you know for you know multiple generations they grew up like on etzel street right off of like 75 the same house my grand that was my my great granddad's house and then when he transitioned my grandmother inherited that and you know and my dad lived there for you know a lot of his childhood years he went to southwestern high school so Mm -hmm. um my aunt lived there and they uh was actually there until i want to say 20 2014 they Mm -hmm. ended up having to leave because mm. dope boys moved in next door and mm. you know started shooting up in the street and a bullet went in my grandmother's front door and from there it was like we got to be out so um they relocated uh out to dearborn um but for a good yeah a good chunk of my childhood was etzel street in 75 and i also bring that up because it was a different code it's a you know we talk i i, I mentioned kids in certain neighborhoods mm-hmm. uh other things that stand out but that community was very close-knit amongst black folks um like even to this day like oftentimes i'm guessing mm-hmm. your father 
probably kind of has roots if he just drives for you know, sure down you know the right blocks and stuff like that like you know just pushing up shaper or something people be like hey, hey. oh for sure <laughs> for for sure that was uh it was uh, kind of like one of the annoying things like i was like dog like i do not feel like going to grandma's house today because i knew that on the way there we was probably gonna make a multiple stops mm -hmm. and like my dad was like oh, i'm about to roll up to this uh the gas station right here and give me some cigarettes and then it's like <laughs> a 10 minute conversation with the dude outside the gas station because y'all went to high school together mm -hmm. and then it's like all right i'm about to roll around the corner and i'm gonna drop you over grandma i'm gonna roll around and like it's just like pissed <laughs> off i'm like can we just get to where we're going so like it was a, that's like a for that is a for real thing my grandmother always uh joke with her uh i was like grandma like you so you so nosy man like why because like she like you, especially in southwest detroit like they had a lot of the older houses with the big mm -hmm. enclosed porches yeah and so like like clockwork she would just be out on the porch just watching and could tell you everything about everybody <laughs> on the block um mm -hmm. and so when you talk about like that sense of community and like that that history it is very, very, very real. And I think it's missing now. Like you do, I, I feel like we don't talk to our neighbors enough. Um, yes, I think, uh, yeah, things, yes, mm -hmm. things have changed, but I, I distinctly remember that as a kid coming yeah, now, up. Now people talk through the next door app on their phone. Oh. They'll be like, next door, loose dog <laughs> right, <laughs> right. in front facts. of my crib. Super facts. You know, so same question. Sophia, how did your peoples come about to this city? Yeah, um, my mom's side is from Louisiana, so my grandmother moved up, uh, Baton Rouge. Okay. Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Okay. And my grandmother moved up here in the 60s, hmm. and um, she moved to, first she lived in Southwest. I just found this out. Mm -hmm. She she lived in Southwest uh, with her, her first husband and his mom, and then she moved to the Brewster Projects. Mm -hmm. And she moved to, um, they, I guess they had, like, this housing program going on, and they gave her a house mm -hmm. on the east side uh, by Jefferson and Chalmers hmm. area. And so she's been there all this time with my grandfather. Mm -hmm. And so my dad's side, that's North Carolina and Virginia between that mm -hmm. two. Um, but, yeah, that's where uh, my mom and dad's side is from. And so um, we grew up on... Well, I grew up on the west side off of Tyreman, Ashton mm -hmm. area, Joy Road area. Um, I went to Dixon Elementary, and I was always asked, I was like, how we ain't never see each other? Because mm -hmm. Nisa, her mama sent her somewhere yeah, else. They <laughs> sent she sent me out to the birds, man. Yeah, I was, um, I went to Dixon. Um, I have siblings. I got one sister and two brothers. So they went to Ruderman, and um, my mom wouldn't let them go to Cody. It was <laughs> Um, and then they end up going to Cast Tech. Mm -hmm. So uh, I grew up in a family of musicians as well. My mom uh, played guitar, wrote music. Hmm. My brothers played trumpet. They was in the marching band at Cast Tech. And um, I just grew up around a lot of like jam sessions. So hmm. I have a lot of auntie uncle figures that are um, a part of Motown Legacy, um, that are a part of deeply rooted in the music i would say the mu the music fabric mm -hmm. uh within detroit and i just was around it all the time so i was used to having like that that energy of cultivation of just sound music and um family gathering so mm -hmm. i think that's how i naturally just gravitated towards having like a family ship 
um, with Nick and Wayne and wanted to create sound and music. So I, I uh, was always in like uh, after school programs. Shout out to my parents for supporting that too. Mm-hmm. Um, I was always writing since I was a child. I was always writing something, writing poetry um, and raps. And my mom was like, yeah, let's put you in a program with a triple threat, like acting, singing, and dancing. So I took ballet and jazz. And it was just like, I never knew exactly what I was going to do. I always knew it was going to be rooted in something creating. But music ended up being the thing that stuck with me the most. Um, playing piano stuck with me the most. And I ended up learning how to play by ear. And um, that's how I got into Detroit. That's what it feels like. Um, it feels like such a, a full circle element because I end up seeing those uh, aunties and uncles like uh, Delbert Nelson, Devlon Jackson, Carolyn Crawford, like these are literally people who were at my house or around me and I didn't know who they were and what they contributed to music here. And to see them now, I'm like, always like, oh my goodness, so much gratitude. Mm -hmm. Like, thank you for just paving the way, you know, and uh, really instilling in all of our community, our youth, and uh, really just being intentional about what it is they wanted to do with their gifts, because that's how I got here. So um, that's how I got into music and sound and community as well. Like my mom has always been involved in uh, creating resources for children and adults. So I feel like a lot of that um, passed down to me and I always want to have my hands in creating resources, you know, and thinking about how do we honor the space and how do we make this holistic and full circle? You know, how do we grow that? So that's what my roots are. All right. So you, you went by a couple of different things to unpack from that. So first off, I'm guessing you went to Cody being that you said they didn't go to Cody. No, I did not. Okay, so you didn't go to Cody too. Cody, one of my no, I ain't ain't shout, I ain't shouting down on Cody, but um, Mm -hmm. no, I actually went to Voyager Academy off of Michigan Mm -hmm. Avenue in Livernois, which is near Southwest too. Mm -hmm. Um, and and that was like a a pilot school because we was the first everything. (laughs) So we we had a a really dope principal. Shout out to Mr. Atkins. Anybody who watching this know who Mr. Atkins is. I used to call him the, the Obama of principals. Because the first thing he did when he came in, we were in the fourth grade. He pulled up a chair, and we were just looking at him wide-eyed. And he said, what do y'all want from me? He was like, we want a cheer team. We want chess. <laughs> we want this. We want that. And he opened that door up to bring in um, educators and staff, uh, faculty, and most of all, our parents. Um, a lot of parents ran the after-school programming. And my mom was one of them. She uh, started the cheer squad for the Vikings there. So if the Vikings are still there, um, my mom, Miss Drew, Maria, and Boogie, they all got us together when we were in the fourth fourth through um, eighth grade. And uh, Mr. Dennis, our gym teacher, he got us into um, film and acting. So it was all community-oriented. But I went to Voyager for middle school, and then I went to um, Consortium for high school. And that was on Rosa Parks and Michigan Avenue. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, you know what? I want to go to a different high school. And then I went to Essel Ford in Dearborn. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it was definitely, um, it was different, you know, as far as coming from a predominantly black space and going to a space that was predominantly uh, white and Arabic. Um, Also, just the class 
of students. You know, everybody had a car, everybody had access to things, and the curriculum was like college. And so it was definitely a difference in uh, realizing uh, what it is that I really want to do as far as like a skill and a trade. Uh, when I went into high school, I got a chance to um, really lean more into my creative expertise like writing and um, computers as far as like designing things. So that's where I got kind of like my background and knowing how to do like Photoshop and learning a little bit about coding and using Dreamweaver and stuff like that. So the difference I saw was like the access that we had to certain resources. Mm -hmm. And that those things I started to question a little bit when I was in school. Like, you didn't have this when I was back in Georgia. <laughs> What's up with that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I graduated from Essel Ford. All right, and then you mentioned Baton Rouge, too. Yeah. And uh, have you been down there? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And and I bring that up because definitely when we think Louisiana, so many of us think, you know, maybe Shreveport, most, mostly New Orleans. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You think more of that influence, uh, that that Cajun influence. I, I don't know how many of you guys know this just from history books or whatever, but at one point in time, inside of this I guess United States of America, as much as we want to label it this, part of this was a province of France. Hence, uh, the capital was down there. I mean, France, this was a footprint. Uh, Detroit was a mm -hmm. French colony, too. But uh, New Orleans, definitely all of Louisiana. Um, so it impacts some of the culture there. Mm -hmm. But Baton Rouge, I think, still kind of really has that Texas feel. It has like a, 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 a different essence um down there um wh what's what's that connection been like in family and in connecting to that city and seeing that and comparing that to detroit because it's it's i mean new orleans is definitely different obviously yeah. but uh mm -hmm. i really think baton rouge is it's unique you know it is mm -hmm. that's a really good question um when katrina happened or a little bit before Katrina was 2006 or mm -hmm. was it 2009? About 2000. It was about 2006. It was around, I think it was 2006. Yeah. I graduated in 2006 and I had already been longing to get down to Baton Rouge thanks to Eve's Bayou because I was like obsessed with that movie. Hmm. And I just always felt connected to it. Like, oh, I got to find out, you know, why I love this movie so much. And so, um, I remember just begging my mom. I was like, can we go down to Baton Rouge? Because I found out that she had seven sisters and one brother. And I was like, oh, uh, no, we got to go. So me, my mom, and my brother, we went down right after uh, Katrina. Now, Katrina is what really prompted her. I was like, we have to go. Like, we have to go down there. So we drove down, met all my sisters. I'm sorry, all her sisters, all my aunties. So your aunties. Yep, I met the auntie team, like Kanye said. Like, we was listening mm -hmm. to, uh, that's when... Uh, Kanye's track, his uh, graduation came out. College, mm -hmm. dropout. College dropout was around that time, so we was listening to it on the way down, and we was like, "We got an auntie team!" So we was all geeked to get down there, and I remember um, the energy was just so different. Like as soon as we got into the space, it was more rural. A lot of the homes are hand built. Um, they're one level homes, and actually, my granddad, my mom's um, dad, was a uh, was an artisan a carpenter, he was an architect, and he built both the homes that we uh, we saw when we were down there. Mm -hmm. And I just remember people waving at us when we got out the car, and I was like, waving at me? Like, you know, so coming from Detroit, if I just waved at somebody, they're going to be like, 
Okay. That's it, you know. But everybody was just like, hunk, hunk, you know. And I was like, what's this? Like, why are people waving and speaking to us? And it was my introduction to Southern hospitality. Mm-hmm. Um, but honestly, I feel like that's something I just always been like anyway. And mm-hmm. so that's probably one of the connections that I do have is like that built in Southern hospitality. Like I love to just embrace or try to create a way. Um, my default is that like mm-hmm. I'm always trying to figure out how we going to connect um, and, and respecting space and boundaries. But like, you know, hey, come on, let's talk. Let's porch talk. I always call it when we talk over like two, three hours. We're like, OK, we got to porch talking i call it porch talking because down south um i got a chance to go to my grandmother's land and uh around this area they have more of like the side uh they like dips on the side like uh ditches on the side Mm -hmm. dirt roads and her land is right in front of right in front of a sugarcane field Hmm. and across from that is still my grandmother's best friend my mom's godmother and her daughter and they they redid their house and they built another house behind it and they sit on their porch and people hunk and they sit on their porch for hours they really like got their porch decked out just to sit on the porch Mm -hmm. and just hey how you doing and Mm -hmm. i just marvel at that I, i find that culture to be um i find it to be very organic and I find it to be a, a huge part of what keeps the cultivation of human existence and interaction as far as especially with black people. And so I just I really love that. Like when I went down there, I saw that and to stand on my grandmother's land, we had a picture so I could see like the home that was there before. And I felt very, very connected. Like I was just like I felt like I was at home. Like it, it really made a lot of sense to me. Like, OK, this is where I'm from. I can understand it. And I, I wanted a gold tooth. And I, I, I was like, I want a little gold tooth. And um, I think the year we went down there in 2006, my cousin, one of my cousins, they was so fly. They had the swoop and the hair. And, and their boyfriends had uh, Jaguars with 26s and their polo shirts. And they was like, you know little Boozy? And I was like, I don't know who that is. What do you mean you don't know who Lil Boozy is? I was like, who? Like, I don't know who that is. And around the corner was a candy lady, you know, that they will always go to. They was like, we got to take you around the corner. And I go around the corner, and the lady, she she said, just sit up there. She's like, get whatever you want. And on the table was just like a plethora of stuff to rot your teeth. But I didn't care. Like, it was just like, let me, I'm going to keep going over here. And she was just talking. She's like, where are you from? And who do your hair? And it was just so loving. I just felt so um, welcomed. And I love the heat. I love how it felt. I love that in the morning, the breakfast was like pork, pork steaks and biscuits and <laughs> gravy and bacon. And mm-hmm. I mean, it, it was so much hospitality um, that I was just like, I know where I'm from. Like, mm-hmm. I, I felt that strongly. And so fast forward up to now, um, the past four years, I've been sitting with my grandmother a lot more, um, just recording her having conversations, um, really trying to do self-exploration, understand myself, and um, I see a lot of alignments with us, and so I ask her a lot of questions, and um, i just been taking that time to create, like, an archive, you know, and she's uh, an outstanding cook, chef, and one of the things that she will always tell me is um, she don't use no recipes, like, she just makes stuff, and Mm -hmm. that's it, and she just know how to do it, and I was like, oh, that's where I get that from. Because yeah. I don't 
have no, I don't know how to like, I mean, I'll follow them, but if I feel it, I just do it. And then I taste it. And then I like give somebody, do it taste good? All right, cool. Mm -hmm. You know, so I see like that connection. And then my daddy told me I could cook, so can't nobody tell me nothing. Okay. I want to <laughs> but yeah, I see that connection. I mean, the things that she makes, um, understanding the concept of rue is so powerful to me. Like it's, it's a French term, but rue is that, um, you know, it's parts flour, parts water. It's like you're making this gravy down and it's like the base of like a soup or like a making. And I feel like that's what black people are in totality. We're like the rue of mm. so much. And if you didn't have rue, you, you pretty much don't have anything. Like you need that binding element um, to create something to be whole. And so learning all these different recipes and seeing all just the Southern ways that she would just carry stuff together. And she still has that uh, inflection and that accent. Her and uh, rest of my great aunt soul, she, they both still grab my pocketbook. Um, <laughs> I used to love all of that. I loved everything mm -hmm. about it. I actually love when they would have conversations. I would uh, record them when they would talk to each other. My aunt, I mean, my great aunt and my grandma, I would listen to them talk back and forth, and the Southern inflection was so calming. To me and my nervous system, I would just be like, why well, this feels so good? I feel like I'm down south on, on a rocking chair on the porch and just watching the sunset. Like, it was just so beautiful. So um, just sonically and just being in person and the food and everything like that, um, I've, I've learned that there's a lot of identity that lies in a lot of that culture. Um, that comes from Baton Rouge and a lot of that identity that has come through um, our family's lineage. Uh, it shines through my mom, my aunt, all of us. And um, I'm actually doing an exhibit honoring my grandmother that's, uh, that's opening that gallery for me on March 3rd called okay. Red Clay. So it'll be about that. And the Red Clay comes from Louisiana. Mm -hmm. um, so I'll be talking about that and um, doing a sound installation. So just to kind of bring that into a full circle element of asking about Baton Rouge, that's how much it has impacted me, and that's how much I want to explore it and um, profess my love for my family and my lineage. Okay, installation. Mm -hmm. So you also, outside of music works, you do artistic works too. Yeah, yeah. I, I consider them all to be the same. Mm -hmm. I kind of look at it like uh, being a vessel. And when you get that download, whatever medium it is, that's how I executed. So is it, um, so your installation, I'm guessing, is it more like a, a abstract pieces? Is it is it visual art itself? What what would it be? Uh, it'll be mixed media. Okay. So um, there'll be a, a film. Uh, there'll be archives of interviews. And mm. there'll also be uh, artifacts. So when, if, when, when will it be? What, how do people connect to it? Yeah. What's happening with it? Um, so it'll be March 3rd through the 25th. Of so basically for Women's History Month, mm -hmm. you're honoring your grandmother. Right. And her birthday okay. is March 7th. Okay. And my great aunt's birthday is March 9th. That's so okay. it's like all kind of tying in together. Where at? At Gallery Camille in Midtown, mm -hmm. um, curated by Dahlia Reyes and Diana. Mm -hmm. And um, it, there'll be a total address, of address. Gallery oh. Camille. I don't know the address don't right know. off the back. I'm sorry. Google it. But it's um okay, it's so in Midtown. It's, it's in, in Midtown. It's next to Avalon, right? It's right or next to yeah, yeah, it's by by mm. Avalon. Yes. Okay. okay. So um it's in Midtown off of Cass. Mm -hmm. uh, it's across the street from a uh, Detroit clothing circle. Okay. Mm -hmm. If uh, or uh Royale, what's the name of that? Royale with cheese. Yeah, Royale with cheese. It's right across the street from there. 
Um, it's a total of 13 artists, some amazing, brilliant artists. I don't want to give away too much because they're doing a press release. So okay. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to hold out on the name of it. But the name of my installation is Red Clay, um, which talks about that iron-colored uh, dirt that you see um, that washes over from Mississippi into Louisiana. My grandmother told me stories about it. And so just pretty much translating those intersections between the lineage, um, the African lineage, and um, ancestral connection, and then my grandmother's personal experience, but also like the characteristics of clay itself um, being representative of my grandmother in so many different ways. Um, you got to come come to the installation. <laughs> I'll have three dates where I'll be doing the uh, installations, um, which will be in the press release too. But it opens March 3rd through the 25th. Okay. All right. So now more to some questions on music and how this all kind of came about. Neek, mm -hmm. question for you. Mm -hmm. Now, leading a band and or, or being in bands and, and building the collective, mm -hmm. it's tough enough being in a band. Most some people, <laughs> some people know, I did the band thing for a while and just getting people to rehearse is tough. And, and artists are so love artists. You know what I'm saying? But artists are definitely passionate, emotional, mm -hmm. and can, you know, and, and, and different things can, um, you know, almost like uh, heighten like a roller coaster uh, mm -hmm. of where their emotions are. So mm -hmm. to connect artists in a band is tough. To connect mm -hmm. artists in a collective, I assume, is like adding every element of the band, the ego, the passion, the emotion, yeah. the commitment, the I ain't making enough money, the, <laughs> these people don't like artists, and we need to move to New York or be in L.A. And da -da -da -da. <laughs> what has it been like expanding into a collective, and how has the management been in matching artists with their expectations? Because mm -hmm. as artists, we are very passionate about mm -hmm. this and our expectations are very high. So that means that because we have high expectations, you know, th those spouts of depression or anxiety mm -hmm. or, or disappointment, you know, it's real. they can come fast. It's real. I think actually it, it hasn't been difficult at all. I okay. think uh, a part of what makes music just being an artist so dope is the the nature of like music unless you're prince music is very collaborative right you know some of the best songs have 10 15 songwriters on them uh you have the engineer right who records the music you have the uh an engineer who may not have recorded but who's going to mix and master it you have you know musicians who may come in and add live drums or live so it's very it's a very uh collaborative um experience and so that's always just the uh approach that I've always had even though like with my band it's you know they're learning you know music that I wrote and you know performed and stuff like that but I think when you approach things with the uh with the family first mentality and with a explain that uh just what like is, what is that yeah so it's what, like no one person you know like uh like no one person is above the order like there's no uh like hierarchy right so like if uh I'll give you an example so with my band um you know it may be the Barry, our keyboard player, may have an idea for a song, right? Or like a live arrangement to a song. I'm not going to be like, no, that's this is how it's done on the record. So I need you to play exactly like this. Like if it, it's all about, um, and some people are very, very much like that. Um, but, you know, I've always had the approach of like, whatever is the best thing for 
this song to translate live to a, a live audience the best that's the idea that's gonna that's gonna win you know so it's never shooting down ideas always considering everything and that's kind of the approach that we take um with decipher which is so dope like even though um you know i may be the executive director i'm not making like yo we about to do this and this is how it's gonna be it's all like we all literally have like equal power and like decision making and so like nothing moves unless all of us are like okay we all cool with this and so it's really um you know taking that like we're called decipher it's really taking that like cypher energy like that hip-hop energy of like you know if we all in a cypher everybody's gonna contribute whether you rap whether you do poetry whether you sing whether you clap your hands or whatever as long as you're in a cypher you're gonna contribute and you know you and and you know no one element is more important than the other and so you know I've always had that approach um from just me as a artist individually me as uh, um, as a leader of a band and then just me with Decipher and so I think you know it starts uh, that approach is it is it, it, it ha- natural right and it's, it's just organic and so when you're moving in that way you're going to just attract people that also are on that same like Sophia was talking about frequencies like you're automatically going to attract people that's on that frequency and that's you know it's been a blessing to just have so many like dope talented artists who could be easily like I always tell people like I feel like our collective um it's not necessarily competing with each other but like Detroit's artists I look at artists like no we competing with Drake like we're competing like I always tell Sophie I'm like you like Erica Badu 2.0 you know like when I see myself like you know I'm trying to be like you know the the next like Lauren Hill like and like fill those voids of like what is a a woman MC who's also like I always tell people if Lauren Hill and like Jay Z like had a baby, it'll be me. Like that's like like that conscious female artist, but that's also like mogul mentality. Like I'm a a weird artist where I love the creative aspect of music, but I also equally love the business aspect of music. And it's like I I love them. I don't see them as separate. Like it's an art. Like businesses are just another form of creative art to me. And so um, just, you know, having that, like having that, a, a approach of just family, I think it's just, it's going to flow or- organically. So Junie, the question for you now is since everything is easy and people work like a family, what has it been like pursuing and creating opportunities for the artists that are part of Decipher? Because that's the other side that possibly could, but that may be easy too. How mm-hmm. has that been? Yeah. I mean, really, when you think about how we started, once we started getting some momentum, Really, it was because we were um, rehearsing and just uh, having jam sessions in public spaces. <laughs> Facts. Know, that's really how we got started. <laughs> um, and since then, you know, like I said, or, you know, we were talking about us actually getting funding behind it. And uh, but it started from an organic sense of, hey, look, you know, there's a space and it's summertime and we could be outside. So, let's do it, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. Um in, in other uh, situations, just even at my house um, on the east side, I have hosted and still host rehearsals at my house. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, when it's warm, we'll be outside. The grill will be going. We'll be cooking food. You know what I'm saying? All of us, we love <laughs> to cook and eat. Yep. Thanks. So we'll, we'll be out there grilling and rehearsing. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And uh, one thing that I found is that, you know, just being in the driveway rehearsing, um, the neighborhood loves it. 
You know, the neighborhood loves it. And I found so many musicians and people that are just passionate about music, you know, whether they do a profession or not, it, it really just cultivates a, 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 a higher sense of community, you know, on that, on that music level um, being used as a tool. And um, it's been, you know, enriching for our own lives to be able to express this in the places that we live. Mm-hmm. But we've also been, you know, organically enriching other people's lives too. So as far as, you know, formalizing this into what we call a decipher, it's really, you know, just us being ourselves and just being about mm-hmm. our craft first. You know, that's how we started. Um, and now, you know, for the last, uh, this is our sixth year now in a formal decipher sense. And, um, you know, we just carried that out, you know. And when it comes to inviting other musicians to perform on the stages that, we've, uh, that we host at, it's really just inviting our friends. That's really what it is. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because uh, like we were talking about, we, we perform together sometimes, but we also perform separately. Mm-hmm. So in the other groups that we perform with, really mm-hmm. it's just like, hey, we have a stage, we have a platform, uh, we've, we've generated some funding for it. Do you have time to perform on this stage? Uh, one of the main things when we uh, started and today even more so that we continue to grow uh, as our foundation is that we want to uh, have opportunities that artists can get paid fairly for. You know what I'm saying? Not just, hey, on the love, come perform on the stage just because we got something. No, it's like, no, we actually have money that we would want to be paid for our performance. Mm -hmm. uh, And we want to invite our friends and other people in this community of musicians to perform at home. Now, we Mm -hmm. know as musicians, because we've also toured in different places, like we, we were talking about uh, Texas at South by Southwest. Montreal. Uh, Montreal, Toronto, you know what I'm saying? We've gone overseas um, in, in all sorts of different formations. But what we realize is that here at home, there's not a lot of opportunities to do what we and do at home. And that's kind of the that. And that's really more so the other side of the question. Just And that's where, like, when people always say, when are you going to do something again? When are you going to do something again? It's... The question is such a long answer, but at the root of it, you know, I find more lucrative the other things that I'm working on now. And it just takes like I feel like I got to build Rome because of the rehearsals. Like so mm-hmm. for people watching to deliver a good show for, for <laughs> me and Kari Frazier, Kari Way Frazier performing in general population to get on the stage again, as much as people are saying technically because we haven't performed since we did the DIA performance and that may have been back in like 2016. That may have been 2015. So we probably need about four good rehearsals mm-hmm. where I, I at minimum probably will get, um, you know, my two uh, vocalists, poet, bass, drums, uh, guitar, keys, uh, percussion. So and then me to band lead alone. So you combine all of that mm-hmm. and then you know they're gonna have to. I gotta pay them for the rehearsal. Yeah. They gotta relearn the relearn the the material and the set list of however we're gonna do it. Uh, obviously, just like the presence of mind, I'm not. You know, I ain't uh, I ain't uh, Mariah Carey, but I'm gonna probably <laughs> wear something kind of cool. So I'm gonna buy some, <laughs> buy whatever I'm gonna wear. Um, you know, same thing with the band, especially the women in my group. They're gonna probably want to get their nails done, hair done, all of that stuff. So. Technically, you know, 
it'd be great for performance at base level to get $2,500. Now, to do a full set for $2,500, and then I've been on the other side of this too. I've been a promoter. So as a promoter, it's like, okay, $2,500, the average person in Detroit probably want to pay like $25 a ticket. So that means off bail and $25 a ticket, as we know, and a lot of y'all going to the Willis or getting some good <laughs> entertainment at the cost of that bar. You know what I'm saying? Facts. Probably paying way less than that. Say that. So $25, if I'm just a straight promoter, that means that if 100 people walked in, I only paid the band. I didn't pay myself nothing. That's not if I did Facebook ads, the people that, you know, the band saying like, hey, my girlfriend got to get in for free or my boyfriend got to get in for free or my, my manager, you know, right <laughs> manager. So like I've been in both sides mm -hmm. of this. So it's like a, it finding that balance where you want to give something that's pay fair. Mm -hmm. But you also want to honor the fact that it is a business. Sometimes mm -hmm. these things get crossed. Uh, yeah. Recently, like people keep putting up the post of Rihanna got paid zero dollars, as most people don't get paid oh, anything man. for performing at the Super Bowl. Yeah, Thank you. It's been consistent Thank you. every yeah. year. Now, with that, performing for exposure is just something that any artist has been doing this for more than five you years. Do you it. should not be wanting to do that. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Now, if you choose to offer your performance, that's different, but that's at like, uh, that's at my own volition. It's versus, the ROI. Yeah. It's yeah. what you're going to get. Like, I think they said Rihanna's streaming went up like, or her, no, her, uh, search for her Fenty, a brand went up like 833%. Like her streams, I still would question whether it did or whether it didn't. <laughs> the roof. I, I, I still would question whether it For did sure. or whether it didn't. Because I can guarantee you this, you know, if the NFL does something at, mm -hmm. on, on Rihanna's stage, you know what I'm saying? Like the NFL not about to send uh, Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers and uh, I don't even know Tom Brady to come give Facts. a give a thank you to for Rihanna for being on at the NFL stadium. They ain't gonna let nah. them do that for free and be like, hey, it's exposure for the NFL. You want people to start watching again? So nah. I kind of have those battles. Personally, it's it's, it's definitely you know? uh, it's I always tell people it's like it's it's a, your uh, especially. You know, we, we have conversations all the time about artist value, right? And mm -hmm. um, it really, I think, boils down to there's a reason artists want to perform at the Super Bowl for mm -hmm. free. You know, like the big, like every big artist has, has done it and it's like it has to be a why. So I think it's just always like as an artist, I, you know, it's, it's, it's you have to question, I think, your definition of success first as an artist and also understand like you know what like you said like a minimum 2500 right for a band mm. um some bands you know are like I don't yo know if i'm saying minimum but or i minimum, want that or right for sure that. for sure for sure but yeah. like um you know like some some artists um you know it's like man we just getting started we'll perform for 500 you know, 200, 200, 200, 100. It's right? a lot of artists that will perform for right. free straight up. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But like mm -hmm. if and, and so it's like it's that it's that balance. Like I think when you first get started and mm -hmm. it's like when you're trying to like it's like your performance is currency. Right. So it's like unless people know that you can get a good show, you're not going to get placed anywhere because people don't really know like and so early on like artists are performing for for free or for the super duper low and like building uh almost like uh 
like building that track record and then you get to a point where it's like no I'm not coming out the house for x amount of dollars right and so you you it's 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 always that that fine it's always that fine line and I think it really boils down to like the the value and the 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 you know what do you want out of it and I think that's something that uh you always have to be mindful of of like if whether you're the biggest artist on Rihanna level, like she got a check from Apple because they filmed a whole documentary about around her Super Bowl performance. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sure there's some a, a, a upfront check and I'm sure there's some equity in that. Right. So that's like residual income where you don't got to get out the bed. You're going to wake up and whenever that's streaming, you're probably going to get something for it. And so, um, you know, I think it's just, you know, uh, thinking about as an artist, what where do you see yourself well how do you define success um you know like and that's so, where yeah. and, and at the root that i mean i ask this question mm-hmm. because you know in that you all are providing some opportunity for mm-hmm. artists where you, uh, it's so many artists that to me and this is me mm-hmm. being back in my business hat because yep. i'm like I, i'm a lot i feel your energy deep out with you're almost regurgitating a lot of things <laughs> that i would have said at, at one point in time but um but it's sad, but I think a lot of artists put themselves in a position to be prostituted themselves 100%. because m- many times artists say, I don't like none of the business stuff. I just want to do the art 100%, stuff. 100%, which, which is crazy. you in the position where the person that does the business stuff is obviously only going to do business matters, yes. even if it's not against you. And I'm not trying to say to look after, but if I'm a business person, I'm going to put the mm-hmm. artists in the positions that are most advantageous for me Absolutely. as the business person as opposed to even taking into consideration okay where your art is so when i think of mm-hmm. now how i look at offerings it's it's, it's offerings and then it, it absolutely you know even when i do my a lot of studio and i'm going to be talking to you guys and you all have this too because this is the other thing that i think a lot of artists you know these mm-hmm. festivals have free shows sometimes yep. so you awesome. may get a good check for a free festival but that'll say to me a promoter that wants to do mm-hmm. a pay gig to say okay i can't book you because mm-hmm. if you're performing for at arts beats and eats for for ten dollars on Facts. saturday Yep. And then I got this show that I'm trying to book where it's a thirty dollar ticket. You done stepped on my you, yep. you know, you done stepped on my gig, man. Yeah. Like I can't book you. Yep. And, and then I, I definitely you am not about president. to say I'm not paying you enough for exclusivity in and out, but like this is where the layers come. It and is. like, you know, how often or you know, you just feeling it, you know, your homeboy down at Motor City Wine and it's like, you know what, I'm gonna just sit in with them for five songs, but they don't feel like they done got a show. Yeah, you don't stepped on the promoter that booked you for for tomorrow. It's that business, man. Like, and it's it's and that's one of the things. So people know Decipher for like our live shows, yeah. which we do offer for free. Like we do like all of our pro, our the Quinder Cut series, our Distillery series. We offer that for the free ball. Um, and we still pay artists well, and that's, and, you know, big shout out to like our, uh, like sponsors and like grants and things like that. So we really like hustle to, to be able to kind of be in that position to, yeah, to be in that position and to kind of remove that barrier of entry from people attending. But, you know, it's, it's. It, it almost like hurts my heart when I hear artists say like, I don't care about the business. I'm just and it's like, dude, like you are in the music business. And it's like it's 
it's and and so one of the things that we do at decipher outside of the live shows that people really like most know us for is we do a lot of professional development so we mm. um offer uh, what we call our off the record series which is like a master class where we bring in more like seasoned musicians and veterans and they come in like share their story and kind of their uh their journey through the industry like we did one with um the jazz legend uh wendell harrison um okay. we just had a uh, pocket queen uh last month who's drummed yeah, for for Beyonce, Galen McKinney, mm-hmm. who was Aretha Franklin's drummer and a, a dope artist, and her My own big homie. And hell yeah, My big homie. yeah, Galen. Um, <laughs> and so um, we do uh, what we call knowledge ciphers, mm-hmm. where we bring in folks and we have panel discussions, like we mm-hmm. did one uh, with Mama and Gia, and uh, who mm-hmm. you know Another curates, who curates mind. all of the everything, everything. Her and uh, uh, Jamie Wilkins, who mm-hmm. helps curate arts, beats, and eats stuff, mm-hmm. and talked about you know how can artists make themselves more bookable what does that look like what are they looking for we talk about management we talk about um you know looking at yourself as a business you know that's something that we always talk about um artists musicians are small businesses right like you have like you say you have expenses you trying to get a fit for the show you got rehearsal you got studio time you got you know I always <laughs> joke with the band and these guys I'm like man like I got it good all I got to do is pay for microphones and stuff for shows like to end. I don't even right. you know most venues they have a microphone but I'm like a germaphobe now and I'm very particular about the microphones I use so I was like I want to have all you know Sennheiser microphones for my show so I'm like a collector of just microphones but you think about like the drums and different keys and synthesizers and different guitars and guitar amps and all of that stuff like all of that costs all of those are business expenses all of those are things you can write off (laughs) you know as a business expense on your taxes you know like you can be like and so even talking about like set yourself up as an LLC, separate your personal finance, financial money from your music. Get insurance money. for your equipment. Get insurance yes. for your equipment. Oh, did you know you made that song? You can license this song, you know. And so, how do you get? How do you do that? What is? And so, like thinking about all of the different um, in- intricacies of the music business, it's like you don't you don't have to like have a record deal anymore like there's it's so many opportunities and then like I think of people like you know Sophia um who's now like used her platform as a musician to build other things like and that's and that's kind of what I've done in in many ways and I think many have uh and and I I bring that up just because Mm. that grind it's a lot of things to think about yes. because at the root of most of this stuff, even me still doing events, the the music is definitely well appreciated at, yes. for people. But even that call to action and how they appreciate it, it's the experience. And and what experience are you even offering if you're taking your fans on that journey, too? So these are yeah. things to think about, like, in the long run. And it's Absolutely. it's very tough because if you probably may have a band of four people at minimum, <laughs> so you're thinking, like, okay, at, at worst, I may just be able to gun it, get 150 a man, as they say, and hopefully as a leader, I may be able to get 200, you know, mm-hmm. and work something. I'll give a short set and, and go. It, it, it can be tough like grind. this grind can be tough and then like yes. people like me that offer like more of a community stage or prices may have to change depending upon you know what the, what it is what's the venue how often you've been over there how you want to promote it uh how engaged you 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 want to be in reference to that it can be 
daunting and you all are providing a heck of an opportunity so i just want you first off to applaud that but i also want you all to know that as you are providing this you know it's so needed because it's still not enough venues to perform music in the city of detroit venues that don't want to pay like oh my god that's the thing because it's a, a lot of the venues not not everybody but the majority don't of venues started, don't even bro. really respect the music. $15 drinks and can't pay the band. Exactly. Like, <laughs> we doing the math, and we see who's coming in here, and we, we understand, like, uh, what kind of money's being made behind the bar. However, however, that's exactly why we were like, we're not just going to talk about all of our problems as musicians. Mm-hmm. We're actually going to provide a solution, and that's what our journey has been for the last five. Mm-hmm. Now this is our sixth year. And, you know, going into it, um, you know, we didn't know this is how it would unfold. But, you know, the whole point is to cultivate um, cultivate uh, a new culture in our city. You know yes. what I'm saying? I'm with it. And cultivate it from the musician standpoint. Because when we think about, um, I mean, even back in the day, you know, uh, there were a lot of venues. But, but they did have um, um, a union for musicians. You know what I'm saying? There were, there's still a union, but, you know, how effective it is, you know, that's up for debate. But the fact is, it's like we really wanted to um, turn that perspective, you know, and really uh, shift it, shift that perspective so that it's coming from the musician standpoint mm-hmm. and um, curating. I mean, not curating, but um, making sure that the, the stages are coming from a standpoint from the musician first, not yep. just who's coming in the door, right, how facts. much the bar is getting or how much, you know, clout does this give for my venue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's and that usually is the that that becomes the debate that call to action. But also on you guys watching this, when you all see some live entertainment, when you connect with live entertainment, know that as you're connecting with live entertainment, you got to support it. You have yes. to want to yep. pay for those shows, because if the only time you're seeing Detroit artists are when it's free, quote unquote, mm-hmm. but then. The only time you're paying for artists are when they're, as I guess we n- label them like national acts, but more like the machine behind them, the pop culture acts. Mm-hmm. Then that doesn't get the artists that true access. Hence, yeah. like when we go to, if you go to a city like Nashville, if you go to cities like Austin, if mm-hmm. you go to New York, if you go to L.A., like it's supporting a district of like having an understanding that live entertainment is a part of the ethos of yes. the yeah. space as opposed to it being like, oh, we can just get a DJ. And exactly. People like, yeah. oh, we can just get a playlist. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? Right. Right. You gotta look at That's why, though, too. <laughs> like, exactly. why, I think now, too, if we just look at how we've evolved, like black people as a culture. Um, the reason why our ancestors then, musicians then, they were performing and getting out energy of, of creation for a totally different reason as to why we were. And so the need and desire for a sense of advocacy was like, it was scarce. Like people could not actually be in a sense of, um, they wanted to band together and be advocates. They were just doing it because they had to, but they also were enjoying it, and it also was a sense of them liberating themselves in front of people who didn't value them. Mm -hmm. But now that we have access to certain resources, I think that's why it goes back to what you were saying about this being a a newer culture, um, which to me is still, you know, human evolution of how we look at things. Like, we have all these resources, and now we have to actually sit down and think about why are we showing up? How are we showing up? How are we going to grow this in a more holistic way? Um, that's what I feel makes us very unique is mm-hmm. because we look at this as an ecosystem. And so we are wanting to have those conversations with everybody who is a part of this ecosystem 
So there aren't any blinders or there are any reasons of like, you don't understand why this is working this way. And we can better examine what those intersections are. So if we, if I think about some of the, the people I was mentioning earlier, or even if I think about two or three generations ago of who was learning how to play guitar and who was singing on stage in front of an all-white audience and crowd, I mean, it's a totally different reason and purpose that was behind that. And it, it was a lot more pressure. I mean, now it's, it's very different. Um, our generation is, is really trying to find identity through a lot of things that they're doing. So through that identity, how do we know what to ask for when it comes to value? Yeah. And so we have to establish that. And I feel like that that is what we're doing now. Like I do feel like I was blessed to be able to have this family ship, to be able to learn, because there was a lot of things that I didn't know about that I was able to uh, witness and see being around Nick and Wayne. And then once I started getting books myself, I was just grateful to have musicians who had already been experienced. And so that pushed me to say, if I'm going to be in this space, I'm looking at it from a long-term standpoint of maybe I should do more of a residency. Mm -hmm. And I need us to be getting paid more than $200, $300. Because now I'm, paying, I'm playing with tenured or experienced musicians, and I want them to know that I value their time. I value that they like, you know, I'm just popping up. I got some songs, <laughs> you know, like, oh, okay. You, you believe in what I'm doing maybe because I'm passionate, but on my end, how do I ensure that you understand in that transaction exchange, besides us just being cool, how do I also show in a way through a business mind that I value what you're doing? And also this is me holding the people who are asking me to come to that space to provide what we have, which is unique. I'm holding them accountable to make sure that we understand that we are valued through that transaction of currency, but not just currency. Let's just make sure that as far as how everyone is treated is with respect. Let's make sure you have the basic things that we need so that we can provide this type of experience. So we do get a chance to really examine, um, I think, the difference between uh, certain generations as to why they were performing, how they were performing, and what was there to support them versus now. And I feel like a lot of people have, have learned that they have access to a lot of things and that, you know, they want to be in a space but maybe not know why or how. And I so, think, um, mm -hmm. and, and, and as you say that, it's so it's so unique because I still run into a lot of people that like, a lot of MCs sometimes. Mm -hmm. They'd be like, man, you need to put me out. You need to put me out. <laughs> and the first question I always say is, all right, cool. How long you been rapping? You know, I, and, and whatever they say, three, mm -hmm. four years or whatever. And I'll say, all right, who's your favorite rapper? Mm-hmm. And then usually, I mean, now it's like Drake or Future. I mean, nowadays it'd be like, you know, Babyface Ray or something. <laughs> and then it'd be like, all right, so when's the last time you bought some music from Babyface Ray? Mm -hmm. Blank face. Yep. When's the last time you paid for a Babyface Ray concert? Mm -hmm. blank, blank, blank face. When's the last time you paid for anything associated with Babyface Ray? And then it's like, okay, so... Who is the pe who are the people actually purchasing and mm -hmm. buying music right. today? Right. Yep. Or yeah. the type of music you want to make, because yep. you obviously aren't mm -hmm. a buyer as much as you're a consumer. Yep. So yes. the consumer in what? this music industry in this transition has it become abundant, mm -hmm. but who the buyer is yep. is so different. I used to spend so much money buying music i almost had yeah. part-time jobs just to buy just, stuff. yes but yes. that was 
a, a, a while ago. Whereas mm-hmm. like so as the barriers of entry to get into a studio drop and the barriers of entry to get on stage drop, mm-hmm. um, it heightens the, the, the access. And as you say, like some music that we can hear, but it also in lowering it, it it's devalued some of like us redefining what the value mm-hmm. of the performance is, of yeah. what music is. And yeah. this is even for, for some of us that make it, because when mm-hmm. you ask a lot of people, it's like, mm-hmm. well, do you buy music? And a lot of the question comes back as uh, probably not. Nope. So it's like, who is that audience? Who is buying that? And it, and mm-hmm. it's slowly but surely like some like enclaves and some pockets and everything. But making that connection as much as I'm speaking to you yeah. all, this is more like me talking to the whole mm-hmm. music industry. Mm-hmm. We have to really offer people a stronger experience that they're going to want to connect to so now it's like okay i can quantify this i'm going in my pocket and i'm paying because Mm -hmm. without that you know and that's kind of what i think so yes will i hire just from the promoter lens because i've been this person it's like okay this band is excellent they're a 10 and they want fifteen hundred dollars this man they're okay they want $500, but they do enough covers where people, <laughs> people will party and they'll have some fun, hire the $500 band, mm-hmm. and that's cool, you know, or furthermore, it can just come to hire a $300 karaoke person, you mm-hmm. know, it, 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 you know, it's, it's, it's something for people to do, mm-hmm. you know, it's band night on Monday and Tuesday is karaoke night and Wednesday is poetry oh. night and Thursday <laughs> is is comedy night and Friday is ladies in free night. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. and I'm not necessarily yeah. really connecting. Hence, if you're a musician, these aren't the types of venues that you probably need to be thinking that yeah. are the right. venues that will grow your <laughs> career. Right. But this becomes a reality Absolutely. for a lot of people wanting to perform music. Yeah. And then you got your, your, your siblings, your brother, your sister, your boyfriend, <laughs> your girlfriend. Like, Let me on the guest list, cuz. <laughs> what are you doing? I mean, but but I I, I just see is what we're doing on a mm-hmm. we have a different mission. You yeah. know, our real mission is really to um to to contribute to our community. I mean, that's, that's really what our foundation is. And mm-hmm. um you know, even when you know our rates don't always match up with everybody that we want to have yeah. <laughs> that we want to have on our stage. Um you know, thankfully we have good relationships. You know what I'm saying? And they understand yeah. the mission. And, you know, because we, we're on that promoter end, too. So, you know, sometimes we do have to negotiate that, mm-hmm. yeah. that rate. Um, however, you know, with, with the greater mission of contributing to, you know, the community that we're in, that we're all a part of, mm-hmm. then it becomes something else. It's not just, you know, um, all right, this is, this is the Wednesday night. You know, yeah. what else happens on the Wednesday? Can I get paid more over here as a musician? Mm-hmm. Or can I get, you know, should I take this, you know, this stage that the Cypher is doing? Um, it, it becomes something more than that because we, based on, especially last year, you know what I'm saying? I mean, every year that we've uh, been doing this, especially last year, like, like the caliber of artists that we've had in our stages, a lot of them should have said no. I mean, based on the money alone, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Um, if it was anybody else, they would have just said no. But because of, again, relationship reputation and reputation, reputation. Mm-hmm. And, then and actually, because of what, the, what we're offering to the community and because mm-hmm. of our mission yep. in that specific area, it's mm-hmm. it's on. It has a different. Um, it has a different return on the investment. It's leading with spirit first. You mm-hmm. know, it's that. Uh, you know, I think like business, oftentimes gets a bad rap, and I always think of uh, 
Kendrick Lamar said a, uh, a line in one of his uh, recent songs. He said, I'm not in the music business. I'm in the human business. And that's really, you know, business is just another way humans connect with each other. And you can do that very viciously and very selfishly where profit is over the person or you can do it with a a, a uh, a servant mentality of like how can I serve my community how can I and uh, I think when it's done that way it's not necessarily that you're not going to make any money or or be as successful I think is it's, it's really like the latter like you're going to be more successful because you have those relationships I think of you know we talk about mainstream artists it's one of the reasons why DJ Khaled can get Jay-Z and Beyonce off their couch on a song together multiple times because it's that you know like people I speak of him it's like man he's just a good dude like he's you know and it's like when you're leading with that spirit and like a good heart and that purity and that sincerity people will you know uh, and, and I, mess with you then and the the main thing why in this world just from my own bias and and seeing it mm -hmm. because music and just entertainment in general because just due to just due to so much of that, that emotion, that passion, it's a lot of usury. It's a lot of <laughs> like, even in walking a path of yeah. like, if I'm going to walk this righteous path, you're walking into Sharks. a den where <laughs> most other people are not going to have that alignment. Most yeah. other people are going to make the exploitive decision as if this is just naturally a part of it. Like, yep. I mean, the, the the classic like, oh, well, you know, in entertainment, you always get done bad on your first deal. This is just like <laughs> an understood mm -hmm. yep. reality that's just accepted yep. in in this in in entertainment sure. business, sure. whether I, I agree with it or don't agree with it. I'm just saying these are like some of the ethics. So to walk that path is strong. And I do believe that is why you all have so much support, success. I definitely applaud it. Um, I Thank see what you. you all have been doing, and I tip my hat because I, in, in my mind, I know it's been easy for you all, <laughs> but even from the outside in, I can only imagine <laughs> that it would be, uh, it would be a fruitful but uh, but very committed task to deliver <laughs> some of the things that you all have done, and it's um, and, and I applaud it. So as we get closer to an end. Uh, I usually have my classic Detroit is different questions, but I want to ask you guys a, a different type of question. Uh, music people here. Uh -oh. So. So the 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 um, if if we were one of the things I always wanted was like a day that like most venues across like a week, most venues could have like live music and live entertainment in and around just everywhere in Detroit, mm -hmm. something like that. Um Talk to the people a little bit about what what you're thinking for that person watching this that may have like a bakery, a coffee shop, a place where live music usually doesn't happen. And you all have worked with a lot of places like that. Mm -hmm. Sell them on what live music does bring to the space. Oh, it's a spiritual activation. <laughs> That's it. I mean, it comes from a place where it's rooted, they, they say in the belly, but... It comes from a place where it's very authentic, and it, it's there because it's from people that was there before us. So it's a message. It's getting sent down. But to talk about space and, like, placemaking, um, space has a lot to do with why uh, sound, music, arts, and culture uh, needs to holistically be present. Um, it's, it's definitely reminiscent of, like, a village. You know, mm -hmm. you usually have these 
all these different components in the same place anyway. So you got the bazaars, you got the musicians, um, you got the witch doctors, you got the the protectors, you got all these things that in ceremony, all these things take place and, and traditions and ceremonies, they all happen to keep the ecosystem going. So what has happened now up to date is isolated, it's different. You know, it's, it's not seen as um, a necessity or it's not seen as um, a sustainable or um, it's not seen as something that business owners think about investing in because now we're in a, in a capitalistic environment. All of a sudden, it's, it's about commodifying. And so that was taught from colonizers. So we have to retrain our minds and start to really feel deeper into what it is that we're really trying to do, think about the substance of what we're trying to do, um, and build from that. So if you have a space and you got an event going on or something like that, and you have somebody set up on the side playing guitar, that's just going to add a warm, organic element to what you're doing that's going to help further sell or help further connect. It's, to me, I don't think about selling because if you're going to do what you're going to do, it's going to work out anyway. It ain't always about selling because when you are obedient to whatever is activating within you spiritually, you're already going to call to or you're going to be brought to what it is that's going to help it thrive or be cultivated in the first place. So we have to stop thinking in a um, in a mind frame of separation, and um, especially here in Detroit. I mean, we consider Motown. Detroit, we're considered. I mean, we're the heart and originality of so much. Excuse me, I'm kind of cold. <laughs> like trying to <laughs> stop shattering, but we're um, we're the heart and originality of so much. Um, a lot has come out of uh, Detroit as far as helping to cultivate and create. Um, what what seems like a a momentum and a marathon for other cultures to thrive off of other countries to thrive off of so um if you think about when you come here and we got to figure out and count on our fingers where we gonna go to listen to music it actually feels very unnatural it feels unnatural that you know when we go outside we don't see people just busking for no reason we can go to other places we can go to chicago see a drum circle and all these things like that but if you do have businesses and spaces where people are present, adding an element of art is only going to enrich that experience. It's going to create more connection. You can't lose. You can't lose. What, what are you going to miss out on? You're going to say, okay, I got to think about what equipment I'm going to get, what I'm this is that. You know who people um, thinking about, I work in customer service too, we think about the non-consumers. You might draw people there who just want to hear the music, and eventually they'll buy your food. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's it's a win-win situation when you put community first, I think. And so uh, if we start to remove those those veils of isolation, um, our community will start to thrive more, and then we can sit more in our ownership of the space instead of having outsiders come in and start to claim space uh, where the energy has been cultivated on the grounds, and that's why they know where to go. All they got to do is just put a building on top of that energy, and then it just starts to fill up with people. Mm-hmm. Okay. If we start to understand that formula, we understand how important a spiritual activation is. And then we can take ownership of that and we can thrive off of that the way we should. Okay. It's, it's community. I think uh, one of the things I think of and I feel like people are slowly getting it, like the value of live music. I think we saw that even more. Just look at what happened with the pandemic when live music you had no cho- like there was there was no live music right and how um we did our some we did our summer series 
in summer 2020. And we were scared. We was like, are we going to be able to do the summer series? It's outside. People are saying it's safe together outside. Will they show up? That was our biggest year, like, um, of of the summer. And, like, people showing up, pulling up their lawn, their lawn chairs, face masked up. But people, like, literally saw people with tears in their eyes because they were like, yo, like, it felt so good to just be outside in community and see a a human in real life and not on a zoom screen Mm -hmm. or um it was dope to see musicians like yo this is my first time performing since before the pandemic like it felt so good to like perform i feel like i'm in my purpose again and like you know so that's like music is powerful and i I just pulled up a a study that i always find uh super interesting so it was a study done by uh, a scientist named patrick fagan at goldsmith university um, but attending a concert every two weeks can add nine years to your life. Ain't that so? Uh, they found that after 20 minutes of attending a concert, one's well-being factor increased by 21%. The study shows that it's higher than walking your dog, doing yoga. Uh, you know, it's and so like just the live music, what it does to your well-being. You know, we talk about like mental health, and everybody wants to be a mental health advocate, right? And it's like. But if you're not really actively doing anything right, if if there's people, you know, uh, full of depression and anxiety, they're not going to like you're not going to want to go out, go out your house. You know, like I remember like uh, it just even like during the pandemic, like just being so full of anxiety where it's like I don't want to go anywhere. I want to stay right here. Um, music, live music, it it, it, it kind of breaks breaks that a little bit even if it's temporarily and i think it gives people hope it gives people community it um and in that you know you're contributing to people's physical and mental well-being as well um and so it's like if you're a business and if you're really about you know if if you don't have no customers if there's no people to buy your product you're gonna be out of business anyway right and so why not have something um that's not only going to draw in more customers because like being real like music adds the sauce to everything it's why commercials have music it's why movies have music in it it's like music adds that sauce so why not add something that's only going to add value to your business at the end of the day it's going to bring in new customers it's going to make people feel good in your space that's why they play music when you shopping because if you feeling good and you you running up them dollars like i didn't spend how did i spend 250 dollars at target and i just came in and buy some toilet paper but like that music and and like just that energy of like you know it's it's a reason why music is everywhere um it's why you know people have jingles for commercials and stuff so <laughs> elevating me every music is literally everywhere and so um you know as a business i think it's just it's a smart business if you want to have people if you care about people you'll have music <laughs> yeah and you know i just think about it i mean it's tax season now so you know when when you do your taxes you know you hire a cpa you hire somebody who does this you know what i'm saying when you when you're not feeling well if you believe in doctors you you go to a doctor to you know, or somebody that is in the healing space to help heal you. You know what I'm saying? You hire mm-hmm. the professional. And as musicians, that is something that we study. You know what I'm saying? We study the craft of um, of what who the human being is. You know what I'm saying? That's what we're centered on. Uh, we we understand feeling. You know what I'm saying? Are the chords that that we put down? Um, you know how we compose the music. All this is to take you on a journey of emotions and of uh, of a human 
element, like who you are as a human and revealing things about who human and people are. So, you know, from a business standpoint, you know, or people who have these organizations who don't necessarily understand, you know, the human, they understand their product, but they don't necessarily <laughs> understand the human all the way. Um, you know, I feel like musicians and people who do music, um, you're hiring them professionals. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's your shortcut, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so hire the people who do it well. And then on top of that, you know, on, on another end, uh, if we're thinking about where we are in today's world with developing content, uh, content, you know, the whole idea about generating content is not just to, you know, um, put stuff out in the world, you know, to sell people, but it's actually building interest in your product mm-hmm. when you put out content. You know what I'm saying? So the more content you put out, what you're doing, it, you're, most of it is not a hard sell. Most of it is you just generating interest in people to see your product and be interested in your whole world of what your product and business is and then you can you know give them that call to action at some point um so with when it comes to music again you know this is a tool that you can use to develop that content to generate the interest into your business and what your product is i love what you said um you closed out on a high note something that i love where i transitioned into this world of creating so much content this podcast started as a vehicle to talk about my project and so much more now and like i tell many of my clients as i create a lot of content (laughs) for uh smaller organizations or projects and things just reaching like legacy black detroit grassroots detroit uh but you know, my degrees from Walsh and stuff. So I'm, I'm experiencing this marketing, but okay. <clears throat> Over the past 12 years now, people have wondered what talent does Kim Kardashian have? What talent <laughs> does Kim Kardashian have? What does she do? What does she do? <laughs> She's had the most followed social media account. I want to say for about the past seven years. And little do we know now she's accepted so much of a movement be into, um, The plastic surgeons of America have paid so much money into her branding. So she's so, so much into plastic surgery now where it's become such a common space discussion that something that was probably only had by, you know, in certain select groups 12 years ago has now transitioned to a a topic of discussion Mm -hmm. in like in women of all ages to even men of all ages not having this discussion about plastic surgery. So then now it's like, you know, you can uh, finance your plastic surgery and all this stuff. Like, and this is the power of, as you said, the sale without selling. Now, do I agree with any of that stuff? Not necessarily, but I do want to just let you know that that's how content marketing transition, mm-hmm. yep. the way we look at a whole yep. procedure a voluntary medical procedure right now. Mm-hmm. Where everybody's like, well, you know, like usually if I think if you have a discussion with most Americans, probably between the age of 20 and 50. And when I say most, I'm generalizing. So an overwhelming majority. Most people will say, all right, I wouldn't do this, but I would change a little <laughs> of this and change a little of that, and change a little of this and change a little of that. Same people that was like, what's Lil' Kim doing? What did Michael Jackson do? All of that completely changed all through mm-hmm. content marketing. So it's strong. Yep. So decipher, love what you're doing. Thank you. Um, Thank you. Stay creative. And, and I see some collaboration. Yeah, happening. Absolutely. Let's right, just the first sure. of many. Yes, yes. Yes. Peace and blessings. Detroit yes, is yes. different. We uh, out here. Definitely. Peace be. All right. Peace.